Um, all right. Hey, so I, my name's Scott. I'm the um, pastor here, one of the leaders here. We are starting a new series um, on the book of 1 Peter. And our scripture today comes from a couple places through this first chapter. We are going to be, re- uh, I'm sorry, preaching this book over the next four weeks. So the hope would be uh, that you'd be able to read along with us, that pretty much we're going a chapter, chapter and a half a week. So this week, teaching on chapter one. Next week, you could read chapter two into chapter three. It's a pretty short book, but pretty, uh, pretty important to consider how big of impact Peter had on the Christian church. We just have a few letters really from his perspective. We have first and second Peter, of course, then the gospel of Mark also kind of told from Peter's eyewitness account. But this is 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9, and then also 13 through 23. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then we will pick up in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who calls you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, thank you so much for this church. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for the scripture, these beautiful words that that you gave through Peter over 2,000 years ago, given to people on on the doorstep of change that had seen you do miraculous and mighty things, but also knew persecution was coming. God, this is a word ultimately of faith, of the gospel of you, Jesus, and how you've been proclaimed and you've grafted us into a love we could never earn. And then, God, there's this deep and enduring encouragement that we're, we're meant to hold on and dig in and participate in the life of hope and the life of community. So, God, it's, it's August, and we, we love seeing your, your majesty in these long summer nights and these glorious uh, sunrises. 
We're also here in this room today hoping to encounter you again. So will you open up these words, open up our lives so we would grow in your grace and your truth and in your hope that we would be a house of hope. We love you, God, and all God's people said, amen. So the series, uh, we're, we're excited about four weeks on First Peter. Uh, the series is called Built for Hope, Built for Hope. That word hope is, you know, it's just such a powerful word. I love the word hope. I love that idea that our life is grounded and grafted into hope. Hope, as a noun, is a feeling of trust or security. It's something that we can have possession of. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, uh, Hebrews says. It's a, a feeling of trust that we can contain. So hope is both a noun, it's also a verb. It's you can hope in something. It's a sense of belief, a positive outcome for the future. As we get started, I would just love you to just think of, for a moment in, in, your own, in your own heart. You don't have to respond to this, but how's your hope? Like, what are you right now, August 7th? What are you hoping in? What are you hoping for? Some of you are hoping that summer never ends. Some of you parents of children are hoping very much for September 7th to arrive. Like, right? Uh, but in all seriousness, like, what is giving you hope right now? What is your hope grounded in? Do you feel like you're a hopeful person right now? I think for a, a lot of us, the last couple of years, we would not have characterized it as a season of hope. I heard someone recently say that we've lost a lot in the last two years, but we've gained something else. We've gained a perspective that we must maintain hope because we've all gone through moments of desolation or, you know, kind of the depravity of the last couple of years, and we realize that hope is really just that source of belief that our life is grafted into something beyond ourselves. Life is fragile, but we are called to be people, Peter says, of great hope. Even in hopeless situations, we're called to be people of hope. This is a book about hope, both individually, but more importantly, and we're going to be talking about over these coming four weeks, collective hope. Peter didn't write this to a bunch of individual Christians. He wrote it to a church. And talk about what exactly his, his hope was with the writing. But he was sending it to people about to head into persecution, how to have hope together. So we're going to be talking about hope. Some of you know this, but um, I had a van at the end of college called Hope. My senior year at Whitworth University, I had studied American travel literature, uh, William Lee's Teep Moons, Blue Highways, Jack Kerouac's On the Road, John Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie. But I got to the end of my senior year. I didn't want to just read someone else's accounts of American travel literature and what that has to say about our you know, society and our need for hope. I wanted to go and do it. And so I purchased a 1984 West Folly van. This sadly is not my exact van. This is just a Google search replica because I couldn't find a picture of my van. I called it Hope. It was my 1984 West Folly. I lived in it uh, back before we called that homelessness. It was just a kid on a big epic road trip. And six months traveling the lower 48 states, 25,000 miles, the eastern provinces of Canada. The problem is that hope kept letting me down. Hope broke down five times in the first 30 days. In those days, with AAA, 
you could get five toes an annual year. I believe that's three now. Uh, I used mine before I'd hit North Dakota, uh, uh, like heading east from Spokane. Like, so my friends called it hope, but it was this irony. Like, we hope it's going to run when we get in Scott's van. We hope it'll get you around the country. And it was this, like, par- this like, kind of struggle as I was like, heading east on my epic adventure because I was hoping in something that I wasn't sure was going to get me there. Now, we kind of set the, the van story aside for a moment and come back to 1 Peter. Peter says, as God's people, as the church, we are people of hope. And if I handed you all a survey today, say, fill in the blank. When you think of the church, what is the word that comes to mind? Many of us would not fill in the blank of like, oh, the church is my hope. And that's not a word of judgment. It's just a word of truth because we've seen the church fail. We've seen church leaders fail. We've seen just the difficulty being able to gather because of, you know, public health challenges. We've questioned where is the hope that we're meant to find in the church. First Peter's a book calling us to get back to that. Scott McKnight says the message of Peter concerns how Christians are to live in a hostile environment and live in such a way they're not only to endure, but have a lasting impact for good on that environment. Like, what a, what a dream for us as a church, that we wouldn't even just exist for our own hope, that we would become hopeful people in the community, that we would be, as many of us have been in the last 10 years as a worshiping community of Bethany North, but we would continue to be a hope for the people around us, the people in our home, the people in our workplaces, the people in our neighborhoods, the people in this neighborhood. Hey, when they think back on this church, would they say, they brought hope into our community. So today I want to just, I'm going to keep it simple. We're going to look at kind of two key foundations from 1 Peter chapter 1 as we launch this thing. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about holiness because Peter does. We're going to just talk about the text. And I want to give you this big idea to be filled with hope. We must, Peter says, we must move towards the holy. To be filled with hope, we want that. We got to be moving towards the holy. So just a few kind of uh, kind of parenthetical things about some background to this book, and then we'll get into kind of the hope and the holy. Some things I want you to know as you dig into this is I'm teaching it, and I hope you'd be reading along with me in the month ahead. First of all, First Peter, and it's in these first couple of verses of First Peter 1, it's a book written to uh, the church scattered. So Peter is, uh, he was in Jerusalem, he'd be imprisoned in Rome, he was imprisoned in both places, uh, but this was a, a letter written to churches, mostly in Asia Minor, mostly in modern-day Turkey, around the Aegean Sea. Um, these were places of Greek influence under Roman control, with Jewish settlers now proclaiming the Christian faith. If that sounds complicated, it is complicated. The Greek, the Roman, the Jewish, but the hope that's in Christ. And he's writing to these people, um, and they've just seen God do this massive, incredible thing. Remember, it, it, Jesus you know, ascended to heaven, AD 33, and this is written around AD 60, 62, 63, right before Nero's persecution and the great time of martyrdom to happen to Christians. So they have seen God over several decades do a multiplication movement. They started in Jerusalem, but remember Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of men. And, and they did it. And they're like, wow, God, you done this amazing thing. Peter himself, remember through the book of Acts, Peter in Acts 12 is locked up in jail and an angel shows up and Peter like walks out of the jail. 
They thought that Christ came just for Jewish people, and then God blows their mind by expanding the gospel of grace and those kind of Jewish uh, councils in, in the book of Acts, and, and what they're seeing God do among the Greeks. Like, God keeps surprising them. God keeps blowing the doors on them. Like, wow, we didn't even know how big this God is, but God is on the move. And then Paul is writing these to churches, that's pretty interesting, in modern-day Turkey, I don't, I'm not sure if Lori is here. Is Lori Kutrich here today? You can ask Lori. She's not here today. She just got back from a, a trip a couple months ago, and they were in Turkey. And to hear what's happening to Christians in Turkey now, it's less than 0.1% of Christians that are left in Turkey. They had to get special permission to gather in a tomb to even pray out loud because it's a, it's a Muslim country now, and, and Christianity's really under persecution. There's, there's been a church in Turkey since the time of this letter. Right now, it's totally under persecution. Oftentimes, we see the church, and we think about, ah, oh, the church is a place of hope. Oh, that's hard for me, Scott. I've listened to the Mars Hill podcast, I know the church. You know, all those things are true, and we need a global perspective. There's places right now around the world, in, in, in Africa, in, South, in Asia, in South America, where the church is exploding, And there's other places where the church is incredibly still under great persecution. And so when we think about the church, we should be mindful just how big the world is, how small the United States church is. And so we certainly want to be thoughtful about the local church. But here, uh, when Paul, or I'm sorry, when Peter is writing to the church scattered in in, uh, modern day Turkey, it's just an interesting note for us, we should be praying for the church in the world. Because many Christians in the world are under great persecution. And sadly, we have missionaries that are out and serving. It's like, we should be holding hope for those people who are serving, doing good work in order to bring the gospel around the world. It's pretty amazing. So, you know, he's writing to a group of people that are scattered. Uh, He's writing, uh, Peter is, he he uses his Greek name, uh, Cephas. He's writing mostly to Greeks. He doesn't use his Hebrew name, Simeon. he's, He's writing to the church that's, being scattered and authorship people are like well did peter even write this now one of our kind of cottage industries in the christian world is to really kind of dig into authorship but in first peter 5 he says that he has a scribe sylvanus he he's thankful for his scribe sylvanus i already mentioned that mark the gospel of mark was really mark was a a, a protege of peter and so many people say that mark the the gospel of mark is really the perspective of peter so we have the Gospel of Mark, and then we have First and Second Peter, the Sylvanus robe, but Peter dictated to it. Yes, Peter was a fisherman. Peter, people have kind of complained about the, the level of the Greek in First and Second Peter, that it's brilliant. I don't have an issue with that. He's got a scribe who obviously is very sharp. To me, some of the kind of uncoiling of like, did Peter write every word of this? I'm going to say yes. As I've said it, I'm going to go with Yes. As Peter writes this word of hope for the church. Now again, I just mentioned this, but the 11 disciples at the time of, of Christ's ascension, they see, you know, 100, 120 disciples in the AD 30s. Now Peter is writing to a church that's all around the Mediterranean. There's church by this point is in the thousands. Some scholars say it would be in the tens of thousands. Within by the year 100, it would be over 100,000. So there's house churches that are springing up, and then there's ecclesias, which would be kind of gathering of house churches. So the reason I just share that is because they have seen God do incredible things, 
But what this book is going to talk about is that persecution is very much real. Peter's already been imprisoned by Herod. Uh, We find that out in Acts 12, and he walks right out. But when he's imprisoned in Rome, uh, scholars say he'll actually end up giving his life for the gospel. He'll be a martyr. And many Christians would. So this is like this message of like, we can see the storm clouds. Christianity uh, had operated the first 30 years of Christianity under the kind of in, in the eyes of the Roman Empire as a safe religion, as an empire approved religion, kind of nestled under Judaism. But by Nero in AD 64, it's all going to change. There's a great fire in Rome. Nero needs somebody to blame. We love a scapegoat. Nero blames the Christians. I mean, you could get choked up. But when you think of what happens to the church, in Rome and around the empire starting in AD 64 and 65. It's atrocious. Wrapped in animal skins, fed to other animals. Gladiator contest. Just to be a Christian at all is to take your very life in your hands. And many Christians were to give up their lives for the defense of the gospel. And so what Peter is writing here, he's saying, I want you to have hope, but the reality is that we're going to go through really hard times. Like whatever gospel where we thought we wouldn't struggle as a Christian is just not in the Bible. So when we struggle, we're like, God, where are you at? Like God will never judge us for having our doubts. We talked about that at length during the Job series, that like doubt and lament is a, is a part of what it means to be human. But please know, especially those of you that are raising young Christians, Like this idea that being a Christian and will never suffer is not in the scriptures at all. It's just not. We've got to have a hope that transcends our present difficulties so that when we suffer, it's not that we say, oh, it doesn't hurt at all because I have hope. No, but God is with us in the storm. God is with us in the difficulty and there is where our hope lies. Not that I won't struggle. And friends, I have to do this all the time because I would rather not struggle I would rather not feel lonely. I would rather not feel desperate. I mean, Heather and I talked about that this week. Like, even this week, there was a couple moments of just real desolation for me and just kind of fatigue and discouragement. And I want a faith that saves me from all that, but Peter's going to say, especially in week two and week three, difficulties are coming. How do we hold on to our hope even when things are difficult. So the two things I really want to build out for you today, we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about holiness. To be filled with hope, we must be moved towards the holy. So this is kind of the first point of the alley. I want to talk about hope. It's a blueprint because Peter's going to talk a lot about being made for more and being built into the image of Christ. He uses two big metaphors here, even in chapter one, about like a building being built or a body being grown up like a child. He says, you have a hope that there is more as possible. There's a filling by the Holy Spirit that we are meant to be growing into. Look at 1 Peter 1, look at, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. It's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation is ready to be revealed. In all this you rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, 
which perishes, even though refined by fire, gold does, it, your faith will result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. What an encouragement. This is who you are as God's people. You haven't seen him, but you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. You're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This clause is its own sermon series. There's so much that you can just unpack. I would deeply, deeply, deeply uh, love to encourage you to go through 1 Peter 1 in the week ahead. Slow read it. Pray into it because each one of those clauses will pop for you in different times. We are filled with a joy that comes from an inheritance of our faith. We're going to suffer. We're going to go through trials. But Peter's like, but yet, and still you love him. And still you believe in him. He, this is not a, a word of admonishment where he's writing to the scattered churches of like, you're not doing it. No, he's like, look at you continue to have hope. Look at you continue to have faith, and you're doing it together. Now, I love, there's a lot about Peter that I think some of us can resonate because he gets kind of beat up. Sometimes we preach about him, like in, you know, the story of the transfiguration where he wants to stay on the mountain and not come down, or, you know, when he rebukes Jesus for how uh, Christ's death is going to go and this and that, but there's a lot about Peter's faith that's quite quite impressive. And when I think about what's going on in Peter's life, I'm both impressed by his ability to hold hope and the people around him, how they held hope together. If you think about Peter at the end of John, where Peter has denied Christ, and then Peter goes fishing. You know that story? And then Jesus shows up on the shore and says, Peter, throw your net on the other side. And there's not just a few fish, there's 153, because as fishermen, we're always wanting you to know just how many fish we caught. And that story is amazing. And I studied even this week. I love that story. That story is really helpful for me. There's times I just want to go fishing again. I want to withdraw from the difficulties of trying to build a church or raise a family or be in marriage or have friends or whatever struggles I'm going through. And I I get Peter. I get that he's failed. I fail. We fail. I I get that he withdraws back to Galilee. I get that he fishes all night and he wants to do the thing that he was good at in the past. I, I get all that. I love when Jesus shows up. I believe that Jesus shows up in our difficult moments. I love that Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. I love that they count the fish. I love that Peter rushes up to be with Jesus, and Jesus already has a meal ready. There's so much in that story that I can just build my faith into. But not until this week did I think about when I thought about how Peter's word was a word of hope for us as a church. It wasn't until this week that I just really was captured by the fact that Peter was never alone in the boat that night. He was never alone in that story He went out fishing, but his friends went with him. His friends followed him. When Peter rushes to the beach to be with Jesus, his friends do the work of gathering the rest of the fish. And one of them said, I'll stay back and count. You just go hang out with Jesus. We know that's what you need. I think why I find that really important, especially right now, is because so many of us feel so lonely. We feel so cut off from this living hope of being grafted into a community. I spent even some moments this week feeling lonely, preaching about hope, but feeling a little hopeless. 
we read these words as an encouragement. And so I want to encourage you, church, that there is a hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ that both is meant for you in the small places of your soul, but meant to connect you deeply to people around you. And our church must grow as a place of hope for us together. We must be a church. People that don't just all think the same thing on a certain ethical issue. No, no. What we gather around is the hope of Jesus Christ. That's where our fellowship is born. We can have differences on any number of different, you know, kind of stances and views. Our unity is bigger than that. It's the hope of the gospel. It's the hope that can only be found in the church, actually. And I know that's a, not a very popular sentiment when we, you know, kind of like, what is church? Like, we went through that couple of years here at Bethany North where we couldn't be together, so we were in house churches, or we were watching online, and then we were outside, and we were in this building, and I mean, even this building, I have a love-hate relationship with it, because we were going to be somewhere else, but I'm this morning grateful to see you all here, and not be outside at Shorewood, or be in my Zoom house church, so that was wonderful too. We're meant to have hope in what God has furnished for us today, to be a people of hope. And that means that we're people connected to get together. I, when I um, talked to, just after Easter, I talked to somebody who came back to church. They hadn't been to church for a while. They said, Scott, it was so good to be at church. I felt such hope. And I said, really, tell me what it was. They're like, usually, you know, it was not the sermon. I'm like, okay, granted, good enough. I, no, I, I get it, fine, not a big deal. I've got a great self-esteem. No, 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 not the sermon, got it, check. It, was not, it wasn't the coffee that we're grateful for the people that serve us coffee. It wasn't the space, it wasn't even the worship as great as it was. What was it? As I was sitting somewhere near the back and watching a bit of an older saint during a time of prayer, get down on their knees and then pray. I was so, after being in my house or on a screen or listening to just see other people have faith, it filled my heart with so much hope. And then they kept telling the story. The person, as they prayed, lifted a hand towards the child on their side. That's one of you. That was really beautiful. One of you did that, and it made a huge impact in the lives of another. See, that's what the church is meant to be. That we, on our low points and our time, like we are seeing other people go after the heart of Christ. And as they're pursuing God in different ways, it fills us with a hope. We are more than just individual characters in the story of God. We are meant to be part of this epic life together, pursuing God as a community. So Peter's going to talk a lot about that. You're going to hear about that over the next three weeks. We got to be a people of hope. And then the second thing that Peter's going to talk a lot about is about being moved to the holy, being moved into places of holiness to be formed into who Christ has met us, meant us to be. That though holiness is not a word many of us spend any time thinking about, Paul is saying, like, or I'm sorry, Peter is saying, commit to these tools of transformation. If you want to be filled with more hope, there's some action steps to take as God's people. The tools of transformation we are meant, we want to be filled with hope, move towards the holy. We're, we're, we're people that are meant to be moving towards the holy. Therefore, Peter says, 
with minds that are alert and fully sober. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ is revealed as coming. As obedient kids, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who's called you is holy, be holy in all you do. Because it's written in Leviticus, a bunch of different places. Be holy. I'm holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you, but with the precious blood of Christ. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. And so you've been purified yourselves by obeying the truth. So you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. You've been born again, not a perishable, but of imperishable, the living and daring word of God. Just kind of in conclusion here, we're going to be building out over many weeks here. But what Peter says is you move towards the tools of transformation. You're moving towards the holy. You're moving towards that life to which Christ has grafted you into. Again, not rules-based, but just saying, I am covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But, so I don't have to earn my way to God, but as I spend time with God, I'm proximate to his power. I'm proximate to his holiness. I'm proximate to his grace. And so Peter is encouraging us as God's people, continue to move. Don't stay where you were. Uh, don't, you know, this perishable, imperishable thing. So will say four times in chapter one. All of it is meant to say, like, the world is fading. There is struggle around us. But if we are moving towards the Holy One, we're saying, God, I'm going to set my, my path towards a, a journey towards you. I'm going to set my path towards a journey with others towards you because I can't do it alone. We're going to talk about that next week. Jesus, help me be a person moving towards holiness. Help me be a person covered by your righteousness because when I step out and pursue a life of sin, that thing just takes me from God's goodness. I I can't make a home in sin because sin destroys the image of God in me. And so I naturally, when I'm pursuing sin, it will pull me away from the goodness that Christ wants to set me in. So Peter's like, don't stay as you were. Don't be just comfortable with any kind of uh, sin that you allow to kind of hang you around and kind of pull you into that old way of life. But set your mind on Christ and be pulled towards this life of living obediently towards Christ. A life of holiness. A life of prayer. A life of worship. And when we fail, because trials are all among us, then set your feet again on the path towards walking towards Christ. The tools of transformation is this move towards holiness. This move towards holiness. There's this great quote by um, this great quote by Eugene Peterson about the life of holiness. I want to share it with you because Eugene Peterson, I hadn't read a lot of different writers talking about holiness. So when I counted this week, I found it really encouraging for us to be thinking about holiness because Peter talks a lot about it. Peterson writes, it's not enough to just think in the life of the Christian. Rationalism just doesn't work. And activism doesn't work. So the evangelical church is trying to recover its holiness. We've started paying more attention to the older traditions of prayer, of spiritual direction, of of liturgy. I would add to that worship. These are front doors to holiness. They are not being left as an individualistic thing that can be reduced to whatever you do in your quiet time. Holiness is the Christian life mature. 
It's gathering all the parts and pieces of your life into obedience and response to God and living with some energy. Holiness is a blazing thing. It's an energetic thing. Holiness is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a work in which there is a conscious and intentional participation and obedience. It's living the life of the Spirit. How good is that? Isn't that good? That's what holiness is. The Christian life mature. Us as God's people, continuing on a trajectory of transformation, holiness saying, give me some life that I could never earn on my own, God, and remind me that my life is meant to be filled with the holy God inside me. That's the life of the Spirit. That's the filling of the inexpressible joy, First Peter says. You are the church. You have a living hope. May you have an encouragement by the Spirit to be formed as God's holy ones, living the life of God's Spirit. And I deeply, deeply, deeply hunger for us to become a house of hope for the season ahead. And people of holiness. How? Oh, those people, they're so full of God's spirit. They know that prayer and worship and adoration is the front door for transformation. So when I'm around these people, I'm filled with God's hope, with God's joy to be people of hope. Let's pray now. God, thank you so much for just a reminder of your scripture, the incredible story that you connected us to, God. And we know that we are both declaring that we have hope in you and we're hungry for more. God, we're declaring that we're holy because of you, but we're hungry for more. God, we're declaring that as God's church that there's a power here, and yet, God, we're hungry for more. We're declaring that we've experienced your Holy Spirit, God, and yet we're hungry for more. God, we're both a work complete and finished by the cross. We have the full gift set of your love in our life, and yet, God, we're hungry for more. God, we, we've got it all, and yet we want more. God, we believe that by naming our hunger and naming the things in which we want your, your power and your spirit, that there will be a breakthrough into this believing community. And that, God, that you would build us up as living stones, that you would grow us as babies eating the pure milk of your spiritual life, that it is your life in us, God, that is the very hope that the world needs. So, God, thank you so much for the gifts that you've given. Thank you that you call us your own and call us beloved. And yet, God, may you give us a hunger for more. May you give us a capacity to experience you more. That that, that that life of your spirit within us, God, would grow up and well in us and actually become the joy to which your scriptures say. The goodness to which your scriptures say, God, the hope to which you have built our lives upon. Thank you so much, Jesus, for this moment. Thank you so much for this book of scripture. We thank you, God, for your church. And though we've often failed to declare your hope in, in the righteous ways, and there's times that we've missed, God, today we say we are recommitted to becoming a house of hope, moving towards your holiness, God. So as we worship now, we declare your goodness in this place. And all God's people said, amen.